Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Saturday, June 10th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. Trump is federally charged for retaining classified documents. Boris Johnson resigns from the UK Parliament. The EU agrees on migration reforms. A businessman linked to the impeachment of Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is arrested. Kiev claims a Russian sabotage group blew up the Kokovka Dam. A UK court rejects Julian Assange's extradition appeal. Turkey names an ex-Goldman Sachs banker to run its central bank. Binance halts US dollar deposits amid an SEC lawsuit. The UK government is accused of stifling COVID policy dissent. And a study finds that energy drink ingredient taurine may slow aging. In our top story, Trump is federally charged for retaining classified documents. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox News, CNBC, CNN, New York Post, Guardian, and USA Today. Special counsel Jack Smith on Friday unsealed the indictment against Donald Trump, which reveals the former president is charged with 37 federal counts, including willful retention of national defense information, conspiracy to obstruct justice, and false statements. Trump becomes the first president to ever be indicted on federal criminal charges, and the indictment's unsealing comes one day after Trump was charged in Miami's U.S. District Court. 31 of the charges involve the willful retention of national defense information as part of the investigation that also indicted Trump aide Walt Nauta for allegedly lying to the FBI during its probe. Smith says he is seeking a speedy trial. Last year, Trump had become the first former president in U.S. history to face criminal charges related to hush money payments to porn star Stormy Daniels. He's seeking to become president once again in 2024. On Truth Social, Trump once again reaffirmed his innocence, stating the news was a, quote, dark day for the U.S. For more than a year, prosecutors have explored whether Trump knowingly retained classified documents at his Mar-a-Lago residence. In Washington, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California, stated that Republicans would hold the Biden administration's brazen weaponization of power accountable. President Biden and former VP Mike Pence have also recently been the subject of investigation over the retention of classified documents. While Pence was told earlier this month that he will not be criminally charged, the Department of Justice has not yet confirmed whether it will indict Biden. All right. Thanks for that big update, Eric. We have an anti-Trump narrative from the Daily Beast. We may be finally witnessing Donald Trump being held accountable for his actions. While Trump's continual excuses sound like raving hysterics, the former president will soon realize that the rule of law also applies to him. It's extremely clear that Trump took classified documents and refused to return them, and opportunities for escape are becoming ever more scarce. Counter that with a pro-Trump narrative coming from the conservative treehouse. The case against Trump seems bad on paper because that is exactly how it was designed to look. Biden's weaponized DOJ continues to hunt the former president while refusing to show anyone, including the courts, the nature of the documents found or indict Biden or Pence for similar breaches. While Republican 2024 candidates will undoubtedly watch in silence, such a legal construct cannot succeed. The deep state is worried about Donald Trump's surge toward another successful presidential campaign. And from time to time, we have statistics-based nerd narratives from the Mentaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 34% chance that Trump will be jailed or incarcerated 
before the year 2030. Eric, John Oliver used to have a joke where uh, every time Trump would do something unexpected or, or not to the norms that we might expect from a, a major politician, he would press a button and they'd be a, we got him. A banner would come down, music <laughs> would play. like we, right. and, 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 and then at some point he was pressing that and he knew, you know, we don't, we don't got him no matter what happens. It just feels <laughs> yeah. like, it just feels like this is another one of those, we got him moments and uh, uh-huh. you know, the banner's going to come down and music's right. going to play and then nothing's going to happen. Want to help us improve the news? Go to improvethenews.org slash pod and take our quick survey and tell us what you think. And now back to the news. Boris Johnson resigns as lawmaker over Partygate. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Sky News, the CBC and Reuters. Former UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced his resignation as a member of Parliament on Friday over allegations that he intentionally misled Parliament during its investigation into social gatherings held during his time as a lawmaker that contradicted COVID lockdown rules, a scandal dubbed Partygate. While Johnson has admitted to misleading Parliament during their investigation, he has denied doing so intentionally. After receiving an advanced copy of the report earlier on Friday, Johnson said it was riddled with inaccuracies and has accused the investigators of attempting to drive me out. In a statement, Johnson said he was forthwith stepping down as Minister of Parliament for Uxbridge and South Ruslip, calling it a huge honor to serve. He has said the investigation has not produced a shred of evidence for the allegations, saying he believed his statements at the time to be accurate. He has accused the investigation of being a witch hunt that seeks revenge for the 2016 Brexit referendum. The Cross-Party Privileges Committee, led by opposition Labour lawmaker Harriet Harman, can recommend suspensions for ministers of parliament, which could result in a recall election. It's believed the forthcoming report recommends sanctions for Johnson and has been focusing on Johnson's misleading statements over parties held at government buildings. Police have issued 126 fines, including one for Johnson, in connection to Partygate. In his lengthy resignation statement, Johnson launched barbs at current Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's leadership, saying the Conservative Party has lost its momentum and its belief in what this country can do. Johnson served as Prime Minister from 2019 until 2022, when public anger over Partygate contributed to his decision to resign. Thank you, Scott, for those facts. Our first spin is a left narrative coming from The Guardian. Boris Johnson flouted lockdown rules and then lied to Parliament as part of a cover-up. Unable to face the consequences of his actions, Johnson is resigning to avoid scrutiny of his wrongdoing, showing that he was never fit to be Prime Minister. His career of self-aggrandizement and rule-breaking are ending with him slinking away from politics after it all had finally caught up to him. And a right narrative comes from The Sun. A vindictive Labour Party and the Conservatives that have swallowed their lies have finally gotten revenge on Boris Johnson. It's clear that this Partygate investigation would be biased and partisan, and Johnson was right to step down instead of letting his opponents, bitter over Brexit and his electoral success, try to embarrass him. Johnson was much more popular than any of his Conservative successors, and it's sad to see his party let this happen to him. In our next story, the European Union agrees on migration and asylum reforms. Here are the facts as agreed upon by DW, Guardian, al Mayadeen, and GVS United Kingdom. On Thursday, the EU agreed to reforms of its migration and asylum laws that would ease the pressure on frontline countries after 12 years of negotiations in Luxembourg and several years of disagreement. 
the European Commission has proposed transferring migrants, mostly from Italy and Greece, to nations that don't host migrants or asylum seekers, who would pay a €20,000 or $21,500 fine per each refugee refused. The deal includes a compromise that only member states, not the EU, could determine which nation is, quote, safe for migrants to return to if found ineligible for asylum and that the refugee must have a, quote, connection with the third country. Sweden praised the deal as a, quote, good balance between EU solidarity and aiding asylum seekers. Germany stated that a lack of exemption for families with children was, quote, not an easy decision at all, but that it was important that a deal was agreed upon. According to the deal, the European Commission will have the right to move up to 100,000 migrants a year from countries such as Italy and Greece and transfer them to other EU nations. The fines for refusing migrants will support nations that host migrants. Many EU countries urged fellow members to accept the deal, while Hungary and Poland said they wouldn't back it, and Slovakia, Malta, Lithuania, and Bulgaria didn't cast a vote. Last year, over 2,000 people died while attempting to cross the Mediterranean to Europe. Thanks for those facts, Eric. We have a pro-establishment spin from Euractive. The European Council's compromise decision is an important and historic step in addressing the refugee crisis. Italy and Greece are popular destinations for refugees and asylum seekers and have been overwhelmed by the numbers. The new system will provide funding as well as the opportunity to transfer some of the refugees to other EU member states and empower countries to extradite migrants as they see fit. The establishment critical narrative comes from Oxfam. The compromise will not actually fix the chronic deficiencies in the EU asylum system. It will only see the EU fulfill its desire to barricade Europe from asylum seekers. The agreement is a plan for Europe to buy itself out of its responsibility to welcome refugees and exert pressure on non-EU countries to take on Europe's duty. It's a system built to fail. An associate of impeached Texas Attorney General Paxton is arrested. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Texas Tribune, Reuters, the Associated Press, and CNN. Nate Paul, the real estate developer linked to the investigation that led to Republican Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton's impeachment last month, was arrested Thursday by the FBI. Paul, charged with eight felony counts of financial crimes, is accused of misleading lenders to obtain business loans in 2017 and 2018. He was released on bail Friday and faces up to 30 years in prison and an $8 million fine. Paxton, who's currently under suspension pending his trial in the state Senate, stands accused of using the attorney general's office to aid Paul in a lawsuit and an FBI investigation of him in exchange for renovations done to Paxton's home. Paul, a millionaire whose firm World Class Capital Group was one of Austin's largest owners of real estate, was subject to raids of his home and offices by the FBI and U.S. Treasury Department in 2019, leading to the discovery of his alleged relations with Paxton. Following a 2018 donation to Paxton by Paul, it was learned that senior aides in Paxton's office accused him of taking bribes from the businessman. Paxton's accusers resigned, were put on leave, or were fired, and an FBI investigation was still launched. Thanks, Scott. Our first spin is Narrative A coming from Dallas Morning News. Paxton is being unfairly attacked by members of his own party in collaboration with Democrats. But even members of Paxton's office have taken a leave of absence to defend him from this witch hunt, which has seemingly expanded to include Paul. These latest charges are unrelated to the case, calling into question their true motive. The lack of evidence will be obvious during the impeachment trial. And narrative B comes from the Daily Beast. While on the surface these charges seem unrelated to the Paxton case, they're just the tip of the iceberg. 
A lot will be revealed during the impeachment trial, and things are going to get ugly for both Paxton and Paul. The power of the Attorney General's office has been abused for personal gain for far too long, and the issues can no longer go ignored. In our next story, Kiev claims that a Russian sabotage group blew up the dam. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Fox News, RT, Guardian, CNN, Al Jazeera, and NBC. The Domestic Security Service of Ukraine, or SBU, on Friday cited a phone call between two Russian-speaking men as evidence that a Russian sabotage group blew up the Kakovka hydroelectric power plant and dam. In the clip posted to Telegram, the men are allegedly heard saying, quote, they, the Ukrainians, didn't strike it. That was our sabotage group. While Ukrainian President Zelensky claims it was a Russian terrorist attack, the mayor of the nearby city of Novaya Kakovka, Vladimir Leontiev, said the incident located in Russia's Kherson region, which has left 14 settlements inhabiting 22,000 people at risk of flooding, was conducted by a Ukrainian multiple launch rocket system. Vladimir Saldo, the Russian-appointed head of Ukraine's Kherson province, which Russia claims to have annexed, said water levels in Nova Kakovka have dropped by 2.5 meters, or 8.2 feet, from Tuesday's peak. However, they remain at the maximum in Oleski and Holopristan, which is opposite Kherson. Meanwhile, Ukrainian Deputy Defense Minister Hanna Maliar said that the epicenter of fighting remains in the east, though the situation remains tense along the front line, and Ukrainian troops are, quote, engaged in active combat around the city of Bakhmut in the Donetsk region. U.S. and German armor have reportedly been sighted for the first time, which may indicate Kyiv's counterattack is underway. Japan has also offered $5 million in humanitarian aid after the dam explosion. Elsewhere, Russian President Putin said he's set to deploy tactical nuclear weapons to Belarus. According to the Kremlin, he told Belarusian President Lukashenko that everything is going according to plan and that preparation of the relevant facilities ends on July 7th and 8th. Thanks for that rundown of the facts, Eric. We have a pro-Russian narrative from RT. Russian troops have been in control of the Kokovka hydro plant and dam since February of last year. Since then, it has been Ukrainian officials cited by the Washington Post who have proposed striking the infrastructure with NATO-supplied rocket artillery. Before the dam's collapse, Ukraine had also raised the water levels of the Kokovka reservoir to record levels, placing further pressure on the facility. There was no good reason for either side to commit such sabotage. But one thing is for sure, it was not done by Russia. The pro-Ukraine narrative comes from BBC News. While no one knows yet exactly what or who is behind the Kokovka dam collapse, the evidence seems to point toward Russia. As Ukraine was set to launch its counteroffensive, Russia likely feared Kyiv would use the road running above to transport troops over the river and into Russian territory. This also comes as Russia has attacked several other dams throughout the war. And we have a nerd narrative from Metaculus predicting that there's a 1% chance that Russia will use nuclear weapons against Ukraine before the year 2024. You know, this damn explosion is really causing a lot of damn problems. <laughs> you're, damn, you're damn right. <laughs> a UK court rejects the Assange extradition appeal. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Dawn.com, People's Dispatch, Reuters, Independent, and The Guardian. According to a court order issued on Friday, Julian Assange has lost his latest challenge at London's High Court, which has deemed that the WikiLeaks founder lacks the legal grounds to appeal his extradition from the UK to the US, where he is wanted on criminal charges. 
While a January 2021 ruling determined that Assange shouldn't be extradited to the U.S. due to a potential risk of suicide, U.S. authorities successfully appealed the decision. Australian-born Assange currently remains in Belmarsh Prison in southeast London. The ruling, officially made Tuesday, rejected eight grounds of Assange's appeal, signed by then-UK Home Secretary Priti Patel in June of 2022. Assange faces 18 charges over the publication of classified documents, with a potential combined sentence of up to 175 years in prison. Assange is expected to file a new challenge to the decision next week, according to a statement released by his lawyer and wife. Such an appeal is the last domestic avenue available for the WikiLeaks founder, who has fought the extradition attempts for over three years. Lawyers have five working days to submit a maximum 20-page appeal to a panel of two judges who will convene a public hearing. It does, however, remain possible for Assange to bring the case to the European Court of Human Rights. Scott, thank you for the facts of that story. Our first spin for the story is an establishment-critical narrative coming from Reporters Without Borders. This legal decision is extremely concerning, bringing Assange, victimized for exposing U.S. crimes, dangerously close to being extradited. Assange shouldn't continue to be targeted, and instead, journalism and freedom of the press should be protected. The historical weight of the outcome of such a saga cannot be overstated, and President Biden must urgently drop the charges and close the case against Assange. And The Federalist brings us a pro-establishment narrative. While many see Assange as a freedom fighter, the reality is that WikiLeaks is a Russian front for undermining the U.S. His publication of classified information put an untold amount of lives at risk, and this cannot be ignored. For sensible people, the evidence is damning. Assange must face the consequences of his actions in the U.S. And the nerds from Metaculus are giving us their narrative. They say there's a 50% chance that Julian Assange will be extradited to the U.S. by January of 2024. In our next story, Turkey names an ex-Goldman Sachs banker to run the central bank. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Al Jazeera, Financial Times, and CNBC. Hafiz Erkan, a former banker at Goldman Sachs and the now-closed First Republic, has been selected by President Recep Tayyip Erdogan to take the helm of Turkey's central bank. The Princeton-educated Erkan, 41, will be the central bank's first female governor. Years of unorthodox monetary policy have shaken investor confidence as a cost-of-living crisis continues to take its toll in the country. Erkan, replacing current governor Suhap Kavjlioglu, has been described by a colleague as tough, smart, and effective. Erkan has spent her entire professional life outside of Turkey and has no central banking experience. She's considered a respected figure in the financial world and was widely expected to become CEO of First Republic Bank before her resignation as co-CEO in June of 2021, six months before the bank collapsed. Erdogan's fiscal policy pursued low interest rates at the expense of soaring inflation and depreciation of the Turkish lira. Interest rates have been cut from 19% to 8.5% under this policy, with the central bank seeing five different governors since 2019 and the lira dropping more than 10% against the U.S. dollar just this week. Over the weekend, Erdogan appointed Mehmet Simsek as his economic minister, widely considered a pro-market move. An emerging market strategist has said that investors will be doubly pleased by the appointments of Erkan and Simsek. While investors are hopeful that the appointments will mean a return to more orthodox fiscal policies, the autonomy of the central bank from Erdogan's influence is still in doubt. A rate hike is expected in the near future, as the country tries to tackle its approximate 39% inflation rate. Thanks, Eric. We have a pro-establishment narrative from TRT World. 
Turkey is lucky to have secured a competent, respected figure to helm their central bank. Erkan's credentials are sterling, and her appointment signals a turnaround for Turkey's economy, which has posted respectable growth despite inflation. Her reputation in the world of finance is a testament to the kind of dynamism she will bring to the role as Ankara's central bank governor, and blazing a trail as the first woman to hold that position in Turkey. The establishment critical narrative comes from Financial Times. While it seems Erdogan may be shifting gears from his disastrous economic policy, there will be no economic recovery in Turkey unless he gives the central bank and his ministers latitude to undertake economic reform. Erdogan's heavy-handed interference in the economy and generous handouts risk making Turkey the, quote, sick man of the global economy. Erdogan needs to exercise patience and restraint by letting his government make painful reforms, something which remains to be seen. Binance halts U.S. dollar deposits amid an SEC suit. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, CNBC, Fox News, Coindesk, Forbes, and Reuters. After the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission sued crypto giants Binance and Coinbase earlier this week, the U.S.'s independent branch of Binance, Binance.us, announced it will no longer allow users to trade U.S. dollars on its exchange Thursday, changing to a crypto-only platform. The SEC also asked a D.C. court to freeze Binance.us's assets, which are held by BAM Trading, citing efforts to protect U.S. customers from Binance's evasion of regulatory oversight in a volatile crypto market. Binance halted all dollar deposits on Friday, and customers have until Tuesday, June 13th to withdraw their dollars before the exchange transitions to all crypto transactions. That same day, Binance.us and the SEC will meet in court as part of the ongoing dispute. The SEC has filed 13 charges against Binance, its CEO, Changpeng Zhao, BAM Trading, and BAM Management U.S. Holdings, accusing these entities of violating the Securities Act and the Exchange Act. The SEC also alleges that Zhao is operating a web of deception. The SEC filed an emergency motion that it would have frozen U.S. dollars from being traded on Binance, since it judged that the world's largest exchange was operating freely with its purportedly independent U.S. partner without proper oversight. However, Binance called the claims unjustified. Binance.us was started in 2017 and has generated billions in revenues as its CEO Zhao has become one of the world's richest men. In the wake of FTX's collapse, regulators have cracked down on the industry and potential corruption. Thanks, Scott, for those facts. The first spin for this story is a pro-establishment narrative coming from MSNBC. If there's anything we've learned from the past few months, it's that regulators cannot stand idly by while crypto companies orchestrate billions of dollars worth of transactions and hold billions of American dollars without proper oversight. Like any emerging industry, there's uncertainty regarding asset classification and how pre-existing laws apply to novel businesses. However, the SEC has been clear that Binance.us must be separate from Changping Zhao's Binance, and there is ample evidence that the two entities are exchanging customer funds freely and circumventing American law. Coindesk brings us the establishment critical narrative. The SEC is overstepping its bounds and making legitimate cryptocurrency exchanges pay for the sins of fraudulent FTX. Federal regulators are showing a clear lack of understanding about digital assets and cryptocurrency and are targeting an industry based on the actions of a few bad companies. At the end of the day, the SEC has always had it out for crypto and its potential to revolutionize the global economy, and it will go after the industry by any means necessary. We have a nerd narrative for this story as well coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. 
It says there's a 30% chance that Binance or one of its subsidiaries will file for bankruptcy or be sold, quote, under duress before 2024. According to a report, a United Kingdom government secret unit stifled COVID policy dissent. And here are the facts as agreed upon by The Telegraph, The Times, and Reclaim the Net. According to data released by the Department for Culture, Media and Sport, or DCMS, the UK government's counter-disinformation unit, CDU, collected posts from Telegram about Professor Carl Hennigan, an Oxford epidemiologist who is critical of lockdown measures. The CDU, which assesses online disinformation and leads government response to such threats, also allegedly collected posts on Lincoln School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, research fellow Dr. Alex de Figueredo and Molly Kingsley, who campaigned to keep schools open. The Telegram posts reportedly referenced Hennigan's claim that most diabetic, heart disease, and Alzheimer's deaths were categorized as COVID deaths in the UK, as well as one which saw him criticize the government's rule of six regarding social gathering. Documents revealed under Freedom of Information and Data Protection requests allegedly reveal the CDU secretly monitored and flagged online criticism of the government's lockdown policies and children's mass vaccination program using an artificial intelligence firm, while the government says the CDU only tracks online narratives and trends to protect public health and national security. Campaign group Big Brother Watch admitted that the unit requested its social media posts be taken down. The developments come as former Prime Minister Boris Johnson recently bypassed the Cabinet Office in sharing his unredacted WhatsApp messages directly with the COVID inquiry to assist their investigation of the government's handling of the pandemic. All right, establishment critical narrative coming in from Telegraph. In tandem with big tech and media conglomerates, the government actively spied on and censored highly respected scientists to keep them from challenging pandemic lockdowns. Public policies may have changed had the nation been aware of prominent experts' dissenting views, but freedom of scientific debate was stifled in favor of ideological ruling. It's time for this report to be independently investigated. The pro-establishment narrative is coming from the official website of the United Kingdom government. The CDU is not a secret authoritarian spy agency. It's a publicly known division of the Prime Minister's Cabinet and abides by the laws of the UK. Moreover, while data may be gathered from a social media platform, any decision to take down individual posts is at the discretion of the forum concerned, not the government. Furthermore, since the CDU uses third parties to analyze disinformation, it's misleading to suggest that the government spied on critics of pandemic policy. And we have another nerd narrative from Metaculus. They predict there's a 15% chance that the Conservative Party will form the first government after the next UK general election. Our final story, the energy drink ingredient taurine may slow aging. Here are the facts as agreed upon by USA Today, BBC News, CNN, Science, and The Guardian. Research published Thursday shows that monkeys and mice receive health benefits, and mice have an increase in longevity when given the micronutrient taurine. Taurine is a common ingredient in energy drinks. The study found that middle-aged female mice live 12% longer, and males 10% longer than mice who were not given taurine. As humans age, taurine decreases by as much as 80%, spurring speculation on the effects it may have on the human aging process. Taurine is a non-essential amino acid present in the brain, retina, and muscle and organ tissue in the body. Studies link taurine deficiency to heart, kidney, and retinal problems, as the nutrient is believed to have anti-inflammatory and neuroprotective effects in older individuals. 
The Columbia University research team recommends against taking taurine supplements to slow down aging as no studies have been conducted on its effects. The study examined the effects of taurine on mice, monkeys, yeast, and worms, and analyzed the taurine level of humans. Out of a group of 12,000 individuals, those with higher levels of taurine were in better overall health, with a scientist who took part in the study noting the effects on animals to be almost too good to be true. Taurine is naturally found in animal products and is a common additive in energy drinks. No extensive studies on the safety of taurine in humans have been conducted. However, European Food Safety Authority research suggests taurine to be safe at around two times the comparable levels tested in mice, a human equivalent of 8 to 12 energy drinks per day, while noting that the high levels of caffeine can be associated with adverse health effects. Thank you, Scott. Our first spin is Narrative A, coming from NBC News. Although this news may be promising on the aging front, it's better to hold off quaffing energy drinks for any purported health benefits. Energy drinks still pose health risks, and there is no research on the health effects that taurine may have on humans. It's best to stick with what we know about longevity, live an active life, and eat a healthy diet. Narrative B comes from science. Although there are still many unknowns about taurine, the health effects are too strong to ignore, and a new tool in the fight against aging may have been discovered. Researchers can now begin high-quality clinical trials on the effects of taurine on humans, and there's no telling how promising this might turn out. Metaculous Prediction Community gives us a nerd narrative for this story. They say there's a 58% chance that a culturally significant development in aging research will be made by the year 2030. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Saturday, June 10th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.